Fado Fado, a long time ago, in the time of fighting men and gods, there was a tale. They told it well, and it is remembered against the odds. Before Cuhullin stood at the ford and shed Connacht blood into its waters, before the men of Ulster were doubled over and bedridden with the pain of labour brought upon them by the curse of Maka, before even Queen Maeve's armies first set out, there was another, a rider in a war chariot set out from Connacht to Ulster. No charioteer had this warrior, for she rode alone. Her chariot was pulled by a blood-red horse. Her raven-black hair whipped the sky. She rode out of the cave at Cruachan Eye, the cave that opens into the other world. And as she rode to Ulster, the horse's hooves and the chariot's wheels tore up the soil, but left no mark behind to be seen by mortal eye. The thundering of the horse's hooves and the shouts from the woman's throat were heard by no mortal ear, save in their dreams. For this was no mortal woman who rode from Connacht to Ulster. This was the Morrigan, great and terrible, goddess of three faces, Balve, Maka, Niam, phantom queen and scalded crow, the Morrigan, she who presides over poetry, sovereignty and battle. The Morrigan rode out before the great battle of the Torn was to take place, marking the spots where blood would be shed. And high over the ford where Cuhullin stood, there circled a bird of black feathers, a raven circled high above the spot where one by one the champions of Connacht came and one by one were cut down by the Hound of Ulster. All the champions Maeve sent, all the great heroes, they were all cut down by the boy standing in the river. Each time one fell, it was harder and harder to find another to replace him. Exasperated, Maeve turned to Fergus MacRoish. This was your grand plan, was it not? Well, tomorrow, Fergus, lover of mine, well, tomorrow you can stand at the ford and do battle with the boy not old enough to grow a beard on his chin. Or is it, great former King of Ulster, that you have grown too timid in my bed to face this pup and teach him a lesson? Fergus did not wish to fight Cuhullin. Not only was his great sword still missing, in its place a wooden replica by his side, but Cuhullin was his foster son and Fergus loved him as much as he loved any of his sons by blood. But Maeve's words were cruel. They stung at his pride, hurt his reputation, and Fergus felt he had no choice but on the morrow, with his wooden sword by his side, to go out to the ford and meet the boy he had raised. Cuhullin was waiting upon the other side of the river, practising his warrior's feats, and Fergus watched, recognising the steps and motions he himself had taught the young Cuhullin. Satanta! called out the former king, and the uttering of his birth name was enough to make Cuhullin drop his weapons and turn to look. Fergus, is it yourself? Have they run out of Connacht men that they must send you before me? It is I, replied Fergus. Fergus, you cannot fight me. You do not even have a sword. I'm not fooled by that piece of wood strapped to your side. You cannot fight me, Satanta, no more than I can fight you. And so I ask that on this day... You turn and run. Run? You ask me to run from a fight? You know this is a thing I cannot do. You can, Satanta. I know the gesh is placed on you that you cannot eat the meat of a dog. You cannot refuse an invitation to hospitality. But you can run from this fight. Satanta, Cuhullin, 
He studied Fergus with his seven-coloured eyes, looking deep into the older man's face. Please, Satanta, you know that is not my name now. You call me the name I had as a boy, but look at me. I am a man now. I am the Hound of Ulster. I am the champion, the member of the Red Branch Knights. Do not think that by using my boyhood name you can turn me into a child. But, Cúhollán, when I look on you I will always see the child I love. And that is why I ask you this, and that is why I make you this promise. If you run from me today, the next time we two face each other from opposite sides of a battle, I will run from you. You give me your promise. I give you my promise. You give me your word. I give you my word. And Cúhollán knew the strength of Fergus's promise and the weight of his word. And so with tears in his seven-coloured eyes, he turned and he ran from the stream. Fergus too turned his back and walked back to Maeve's camp. What are you doing back here? You've caught him on the run. Follow him. Quick. Maeve had stood at a height and had seen the two warriors meet at the ford. She had not heard the words they said, but she had seen the champion of Ulster turn from Fergus and run for the hills. But then Fergus had turned away and walked back to camp. I did what was asked of me and I faced him at the ford. That is all I will do. Find a new champion to face him tomorrow. I will not return to the ford. And with that Fergus threw down his heavy armour and went back into his own tent, leaving Maeve outside alone to stew in her fury. When Cúhollán turned from Fergus and ran from the ford, the tears that had been gathering in his seven-coloured eyes began to spill down his cheeks. Tears of anger, tears of frustration, tears of fear, but mostly the tears of a boy, a young boy not old enough to grow a beard on his chin, a lonely boy with an impossible task. Cúhollán ran with no direction ran and ran as the tears fell from his eyes and ran until his eyes had run dry. He stood alone, but but then saw that he was not alone. Walking towards him was a woman, a beautiful woman. She wore a gown and a cloak of many colours. Her hair seemed as black as the raven's wing, but when the beams of sunlight caught it, it glowed red, red as rubies, scarlet as blood. Her lips were full as berries, her arms were soft and rounded, but full of strength and muscle, and adorned with many gold and silver bracelets. Who are you? asked Cúchelan, as he wiped the last trace of tears from his cheeks. She smiled. I am myself, and have no need to ask such a question of you, for I know who you are. Oh, you do, do you? I do. You are the Hound of Ulster, the Miracle Child, the Boy Champion. I've heard of you in song and story. I've heard your deeds spoken all across the land. I have come to find you, because I love you. Great. Well, you've picked a fine time to come with such declarations. In case you haven't noticed, every grown man labours under a curse while an invading army pillages the land. I am left alone to defend my home, to defend my people against an entire army made up of all of the greatest warriors in Ireland. Oh, but Cúhallan... That is why I love you. Come and lie with me. Take what I can give you, for I can give you great aid. It wasn't for some woman's arse that I took on this challenge. Be gone with you. I've got troubles enough. Well, if you will not take my help against your troubles, I shall add to them. 
I shall be under your feet in the shape of an eel to make you fall. Well, then I'll grab you between my toes and crush your ribs. I'll come at you as a grey wolf. Then I'll take one of your eyes out with a sling. I'll come as a red heifer and lead a stampede of cattle against you. Then I'll crush your leg out from under you so you can only limp. And with that, she left. The next day, Cuhalan again went to the ford and again faced one of Maeve's champions. But as the two warriors squared up to each other, knee-deep in the water, Cuhalan felt something squirm at his foot. An eel was writhing about in the water, seeking to trip him. But true to his word, Cuhalan grabbed the eel between his toes and crushed its ribs before he crushed the warrior of Maeve. The day after, again Cuhalan stood in the ford to face the warrior of Maeve. He saw in the distance a streak of grey, a she-wolf, seeking to attack a herd of cattle and drive them into the stream. Cuhalan picked up a stone from the riverbed, placed it in his sling and shot it towards the grey she-wolf, taking out one of its eyes, before he shot another stone towards Maeve's champion, taking out his life. On the third day after his meeting with Fergus and his meeting with the strange woman in the cloak of many colours, Cuhalan again stood in the ford, ready to face Maeve's champion of the day. This time, a red hornless heifer came thundering along the banks, ready to lead a stampede of cattle to crush both warriors. Cuhalan turned with a spring and managed to knock her back leg out from under her, breaking it. But when his back was turned, the warrior of Maeve charged him, managing to knock him from his feet. But even as he fell into the water, Cuhalan thrust up his great spear, his gay bulga, the spear given to him by Skohug, the shadowy one the great warrior, the trainer of champions. The spear was formed from the bones of a sea serpent. It could only be thrown from the water, thrown by the foot, thrown by one who knew its art, and it would always meet its target, and it would meet the softest, most vulnerable part. Once it entered the body, it would explode into a million barbs, meaning there was no way to pull the spear from the body. The only way to remove it would be to push it, all the way through. The spear entered Maeve's champion through his lower belly and blood, shit and entrails rained down on Cuhallan where he lay in the stream. Later, as he washed the gore and the stench from his body, a great weariness fell upon him. He left where he had been washing, seeking a place he could lie down and rest. And that is how he came to find her. A one-eyed crone, a hag who walked with a limp, and wheezed each breath, for half of her chest seemed to be bending inwards. She had with her a cow, a heifer with three teats. A great thirst came in Cuhallan, and he asked the crone for a drink of milk. She took the milk from one of the teats of the cow and gave it to him. Good health to the giver, said Cuhallan, and as he drank the milk, her backward-bending ribs righted themselves. He was still thirsty, though, and he asked for another drink. She took the milk from the second teat, and gave it to him. Blessings of the earth upon the giver, said Cuhallan, and as he drank, her twisted leg righted itself. But still he was thirsty. She gave him a third drink of milk from the third teat. Blessings of the hereafter be on the giver. And when he had finished the drink, he looked up and saw the beautiful woman in the cloak of many colours, with the hair as black as the raven's wing that shone as red as blood in the light. Her two eyes met his, I should have known it was you. The Morrigan nodded and smiled back at the champion of Ulster. The Morrigan, the phantom queen, the scalded crow, triple goddess of poetry, sovereignty and war. 
War is what she is remembered for. The raven that flies over the battlefield. The warrior in a blood-drenched chariot. But once that was not so. Once she was most known for her poetry. And indeed, in the great second battle of Moitora, when the Tour de Danon faced the Fomorian, when the Morrigan was called upon to play her part, it was not her prowess in battle that the Tour de Danon looked to. It was her poetry. For she had words to change men's hearts and souls. She stood on a height and said poetry that set the bravery of the Tour de Danon on fire and which stole the courage from the very kidneys of the Fomorian. She was once a gentle goddess. And she is a sovereignty goddess. Sovereignty and fertility go hand in hand. And she was a mother, too, once. Once the Morrigan had a son called Miak. His father isn't known. It may have been the Dagda, who was known to be the Morrigan's lover. And when the two of them were together, the world was in balance. But it really doesn't matter who Miak's father was, because the Morrigan was his mother, and she was all the parent he needed. And as any parent would, the Morrigan loved her child fiercely and thought that he was the most brilliant, the most wonderful, the most special child in all of creation. And indeed, Miak was an unusual child. His heart, his heart was great. His heart had taken the form of three serpents, twisting about each other in his chest. Everyone knew that this was a sign, a sign of something great and something wondrous. But some feared it. There were those of the Tour de Danon who feared what this child of the Morrigan would grow to be, that he would become too great, that he would become too powerful. Truth be told, the Tour de Danon feared the Morrigan herself. She was of them, but not of them. Unpredictable, untamable. Her power was as great as that of the great Dagda himself, possibly even more so. And so the Tour de Danon called for a secret council to discuss the Morrigan's child. It's worth noting that the Dagda seems to have been missing from this council. But present was Diem Kecht. Diem Kecht, the great healer, the great physician. And he spoke to them. He told them how, as Miak grew, so too would his heart. One day, the three serpents within his heart would be great enough to wrap themselves around the world and devour it. They couldn't take this risk. They needed to act now. Remove the threat while it was still weak. Remove the child. And Diem Kecht, as he was the healer, the physician, he was trusted. He could take the baby, take Miak with no suspicion. And also, Diem Kecht had once killed his own son, so he would have little problem in killing someone else's. So Diemkecht took Miak, took the little baby to the side of a river. He plunged a blade into the child's chest, cutting out the three serpents that were his heart. He cut the heads from the serpents and then threw the bodies into a fire, burning them to ash. He then took the ash and threw it into a river. The river turned black, the fish leapt out of it, preferring to die on land than breathe in the heart that had been Miak's. Diem Kecht used this as justification, proof that Miak's heart had been corrupted, that the ashes of it had polluted the river, rather than see it that nature itself cried out at this abhorrent act. And the Morrigan, Miak's mother, when she found out what they had done, 
how her child had been taken from her, how her babe had been killed. She let out a fierce howling. Her grief rent the sky asunder. She howled and beat her breast and tore at her hair, but the poetess could not find words. She could not compose a lament for her son. How could she speak of the great deeds he had done when he had not been given life enough to do them? How could she call on his friends, his companions, when he had not been given time enough to make them? How could she recall a life that had not been allowed to be lived? All she could speak of was the jealousy and fears others had had for a child, for an infant, for the possibility that a seed in the future might grow into a tree greater than theirs. She screamed and cried and wept till she had no more tears left to cry, but still her grief it needed to be cried out. So she took to the air, she took wings of blackest night and flew above the sky. She had no more tears to cry and so she looked for something to fill them. She looked for blood. She flew over the battlefields. She flew over those who were dying and their cries called to her. The screams of pain, the cries of agony, they echoed with her cry, with her screams. In the form of a carrion bird, she took the blood from the battlefield to replace the tears because she still had so many tears left in her heart to weep. And so the Morrigan, gentle goddess, mother, poet, became the goddess of war and strife. She circled in the form of a crow, in the form of a raven, over Ulster as Maeve's army made its way forward, gathering the blood that was shed to fill the reservoir of her tears. And I'm going to end it there. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Tackling the Tawn. Sorry for the long uh, interlude between episodes. There's been a lot going on in my life and as you can possibly hear, I've got a bit of a chest infection. I think I'm coming to the end of it, but my voice is still a little croaky. So I apologise for that. Hopefully I'm going to be um, a bit more on top of getting these episodes out on a regular-ish basis. Please uh, do let me know what you thought of this episode um, or of my telling of the tone in general. You can contact me on uh, various social medias. They're all in the link description, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I don't check or update Instagram anywhere near as regularly as I ought to, but I will, if you send me a message there, I will find it eventually. There's also a link to the Patreon if you would like to help financially support the show. And a huge, huge thanks to the patrons who have done so, who continue to do so. It really, really means a lot and it, it, it pays for the hosting uh, of the website and putting the podcast up. So thank you again. And thank you to everyone listening. Uh, I hope you enjoyed. I hope you will hear the next episode soon. So wash your hands and stay safe. Goodbye. Goodbye.